0: They are not curious about the end customers. They are more curious about optimizing processes, uh, selling products, but not curious about who the customers actually are, really kind of a, of a personal level, and also what are their goals uh, outside of uh, of their banking products and services.
1: From Toro Cloud, this is the Coding Over Cocktails podcast, a free pour of thoughts. Ideas and advice from IT experts, innovators, and thought leaders, exploring the world of digital transformation, APIs, microservices, cloud adoption, and more. Welcome to episode 53 of the Coding Over Cocktails Podcast. My name is Kevin Montalbo. On the show today, Toro Cloud CEO and founder David Brown talks to an API thought leader, taking on many roles in the tech space, serving as a digital ecosystem advisor technical lead consultant for various organizations, and co-author of the book, API Product Management, Product Strategy and Execution for the Digital Economy. He recently became the Chief Product Officer for Vista AG, an organization that enables data-driven banking. We had him over last year to talk about digital transformation in the new normal. Today, he's with us once again for a second round of cocktails. Hi, Amancho, Welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Kevin, hey and da- hi, David. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, always excited to be here with you guys.
1: All right. That's our pleasure.
0: Thanks for coming back.
2: Uh, You're our first uh, uh, guest to actually come back to the program. So that just shows how much we enjoyed the first one. Uh, let's jump in and talk about your role at uh, Contavista AG, You're the chief product officer there. And we understand the company leverages new technologies to turn bank data into meaningful applications. So what role can FinTech startups play in assisting traditional financial institutions to adopt new digital solutions, which I imagine the company that you've joined is, is innovating in that space.
0: Um, I think the major role that we can startups uh, can do is really uh, um, provide kind of a different perspective on banking because um, from what I saw so far uh, with banks, they live in sort of a, a bubble. It's a, it's an old industry, uh, always doing uh, the same and always kind of, okay, we have products and people come to us uh, to get some money. And nowadays, uh, also with internet, all the, the new fintechs are rising, uh, um, <clears throat> The users or the end customers, they they expect a different thing. And our role as startups and fintechs is really helping the bank to first uh, um, start with the customer and really understand, okay, what are their needs? And really help them um, with the curiosity part, because that's what I'm uh, missing uh, quite some times. They are not curious about their end customers. They're more curious about optimizing processes and uh, selling products, but not curious about who the customers actually are, really kind of a, of a personal level. And also what are their goals uh, outside of uh, of their banking products and services? And um, the big role here is really uh, to help them with the curiosity, educate them what really customers want because it's always funny. For instance, we, we provide widely label solutions for e-banking and we integrate it. Then we ask, okay, how many users are using this feature? How many, or who are your users? They don't make analysis. They have no clue about how many people are using e-banking. We help them truly really understand their customers, also based on financial transactions, of course, and also their goals and helping them to um, for their end customers to get better financial habits. I think this is one wheel, uh, 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 one big role that we have to do, so the uh, adding the curiosity and educate the banks about their customers. And the second part is, um, you know, from outside, you can always say, maybe you have this picture in mind, there are two guys pulling kind of a cart, but the wheels are quadratic, not not, uh, not round. There comes a consultant telling you, you need this round wheel, it becomes easier. Uh, and they're really stuck in, in, the, in their all the processes. They know they're slow. It needs a lot of alignment, a lot of compliance. And there, what you as a fintech or a startup can really provide is kind of really speed because they are more almost looking at outside of their company to really bring their kind of ideas or strategies forward to really make some progress. So really speed and simplicity. It doesn't have to be the, the perfect solution, but really kind of something that can be really integrated, really fast. That's what the banks are really looking forward to.
2: Yeah. Before we get into the questions about the fintech industry and, and and general questions about what's driving the space and the like, what I find interesting about the role you're playing with Conta Vista is you're actually partnering with banks. You're not trying to disrupt the fin the you know, financial sector and. Become a new payments mechanism, or uh, you know, uh, e banking system, or whatever it may be. You're actually trying to facilitate digital transformation with existing banks, modernise them, get them mm-hmm. to understand what the customer
0: uh, is after. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's a per, that describes it perfectly. So, um, also, I mean. You can always choose, like, kind of um, replacing the bank with kind of new new services or leverage all the, the experiences that, uh, the uh, yeah, all all the assets of banks, the products, and the whole company to really provide value to to the world.
2: So, what would be the deployment model there? Because um, most fintechs would have like a, a cloud-based sort of service, mm-hmm. and but if you're trying to uh, deploy those kind of services within a ex- bank's existing infrastructure. Um, for example, you mentioned e-banking, don't know sort of analytics of usage and all sorts of stuff. So if you're wanting to make modifications to their existing infrastructure, that's gonna require all the privacy and security related concerns with that bank, our third party certification, all the rest of it. So what is the deployment model when you're partnering with these banks?
0: So the model, these ways really provide a wide table solution. So it gets installed uh, within their infrastructure and they can integrate it uh, into their front end. Um, I, I mean, either you provide a database with a front end so they can easily integrate it into the web views or providing APIs also. Um, because also let's say that the larger banks who have really kind of the, the IT power, the resources, they're more looking into uh, APIs API to really consume the services because they want to control uh, and manage that user experience also uh, to iterate that fast. So that's really uh, um, something they want to learn and own because that has a huge impact. <clears throat> so these are these two options like uh, white label solutions or uh, APIs within the banks. Um, the other solution that also uh, happens quite often is kind of building a complete different in- infrastructure that happens usually with the uh, uh, current banks who want to innovate and also try to um, to uh, um, uh, try out some new ideas. They really comp- either comp- create complete new uh, uh, um, companies who do that or they create complete different apps that are completely in- independent of their current infrastructure, especially regarding apps. So, uh, many banks provide a kind of a mobile banking app that is completely independent of, the, of their uh, IT infrastructure.
2: Mm. And as an API evangelist yourself, you must be really interested in all the sort of goings on these banks and how they want to develop these APIs and take ownership of the APIs as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a lot of going on in the fintech space, obviously, a lot of innovation. uh, Besides those uh, sort of interfaces to try and improve customer experience and uh, digital-first operating models, getting rid of the old Know, requirement to come into a branch to do your banking, that sort of stuff. What other innovations are we seeing uh, that's driving the investment in uh, fintech industry?
0: So so the big investments or really kind of the changes are um, the way how payments um, how payments are done and also who controls and owns the payment process, this is uh, um, developing. So before it was really kind in the early days, like from bank to bank, like bank to bank transactions, um, now, it's uh, um, all, a lot of power have now the, the credit card companies because a lot of transactions uh, uh, are done via credit cards. Now, they have made a big move into debit cards, at least here in Switzerland. So credit cards get almost replaced by by new version of debit cards with which you can also pay online. Um, but really in the next uh, couple of years and also uh, the, the huge or large um uh, credit card issuers are preparing for that. It's really account to account. So really skipping credit cards, skipping debit cards, and really uh, um, prepare for that people really pay directly from, I mean, private people or our business uh, from, from account to account. So they, uh, the credit card issuer will lose this kind of control and also the mm. banks. So it will be kind of, kind of decentralized.
2: Mm. Big threat to the credit card companies there if, that, if the uh, direct bank-to-bank transfer payment model sort of takes off. Um, let's talk about some of the other innovations that are occurring. What, what's machine learning? Uh, it's, it's obviously enabling a lot of autonomous finance whereby an algorithm would analyze and manage client risk, their portfolio, their investments, investment strategy. Uh, what can companies and consumers look forward to when it comes to autonomous finance?
0: Um, so especially, let's say, pri- private people like, like you and me, um, what we can look forward to is really kind of a hyper personalization, not just like a, here are the best investments that you can do, but really, and what are you interested in? What do you believe in and really shape those products and offerings uh, to your personal Uh, preferences like uh, if i'm interested let's say more in in sports so i get more kind of opportunities to invest into sport teams or esport or if you're more more interested into sustainability so you will see more kind of uh, recommendations uh, regarding investment into uh, um, sustainable uh, products plus uh, uh, another thing is also um or oh, well, how I see banks—they are kind of the master of the, the fourth dimension, like time. It's like Doctor Who, who can time travel. They have somehow the power to um, teleport your money from your future into into the now, and then help you with this kind of additional money, really become uh, uh, your your. Um, your wealthiest version of yourself. And that is what where autonomous finance can really have a, a, a huge role in to really understand, okay, what are your uh, uh, credit risks today? What is it tomorrow? Based on your kind of background assets, education, also similarities to other people then really find out the way, okay, what is the best way to make it your this person? Because uh, uh, become wealthier means more business for the banks, right? And then really... Um, that's what autonomous finance then help you, the, the private people really find this path and offer you the right choices and educate with you to really ha- help you to become wealthy in order to really achieve the goals that you've chosen uh, uh, to achieve.
2: It's interesting. Uh, I was speaking to uh, a gentleman, actually. Uh, he, he just joined uh, the IT department of a bank here in Australia. We have uh, four they call it four pillars here four big banks in Australia uh-huh. and one of the things he found was that the bank had made a big push into managing process through people power and they'd outsourced the they outsourced the process to uh, you know, uh, cheaper jurisdictions around the world to, to process their paperwork where some of their competitors had started using machine learning, particularly for client risk assessment. So if they had, what he was saying is if they had a client come to them and say, I'll look them after a home loan, they'd say, great, we can get back to you in 25 days. That was 25 <laughs> days was their processing time to assess client risk. Whereas their competitors have made big investments in machine learning to automate that process, particularly scanning of bank statements and the like to sort of determine sort of purchasing mm-hmm. patterns and, and that sort of stuff. And um, we're able to process, you know, in obviously much shorter time frames. I don't know whether it's hours or days, but obviously a lot less than 25 days. Right. So what was happening is that, the, the, you know, the, the, they were coming back and say, oh, great news, your home loan's approved. I was like, well, that was weeks ago. I've already I've already gone with, <laughs> with another bank. So so obviously there's benefits for for autonomous finance with with the customer. But uh, clearly, uh, productivity benefits uh, and, and real risks to your, to your mm-hmm. organization if, if you're not pursuing that autonomous finance as well. Just an observation I made through a conversation I had recently. Another Maybe I uh, can training- also add,
0: add on that. Um, yeah, because yeah. that's completely true. I mean, with machine learning, you can really uh, understand the patterns uh, from mm-hmm. transactions. Uh, and also compared to uh, uh, different kind of uh, uh, people to really kind of assess the, the validity and accuracy of those models. And also together in combination with open banking, that makes it also so, so, such a huge thing. Because um, if you think as a bank that uh, the, the customer, had, that's the only relationship uh, the person has with the bank, then you're usually uh, uh, wrong. So you only see one picture or watch just one dimension of, of the customer as a whole and really have help with open banking and understand this kind of data and then use machine learning that really helps you to get kind of yeah maybe the 360 view of the customer but at least let's say the whole picture about uh, the whole wealth how income and expenses behavior to really make a great uh, credit risk assessments
2: i'm glad you mentioned open banking because it's one of the things that i wanted to ask you about um it aims to establish a standards-based data exchange between banks and fintechs. Tell me what open banking means, what, it, what is it, and how, how is it bringing innovation to that industry? You mentioned already some some, uh, some of the, the benefits there.
0: Yeah, so the benefits there, or what it actually is, is um, open banking. That means other um, banks or other uh, banks or other parties are able to get access to your accounts, to your financial transactions, also are able to uh, um, to create payments uh, and transactions on your behalf. And with open banking, uh, if you have multiple uh, relationships to several banks, you are really ca- uh, able to aggregate, aggregate all this kind of information, then really choose where do you pay to whom, by which bank service and so on. Which uh, So it enables really kind of uh, uh, opens up the banks, your bank information, your financial information, to others, to really provide to provide you uh, better services.
2: What control does the end user, the customer, have over that exchange of data?
0: Um, you uh, uh, you own uh, the, 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 this kind of information, and you can or you have. To or you should uh, have to provide consent to the third party to really allow them to access this kind of bank. So banks would never kind of share your information, your financial trans- transactions and financials mm. to all third party without uh, your consent.
2: Mm. And I imagine, you know, it's, it sounds great, you know, in theory, having open standards around data exchange for banking, But I imagine there's jurisdictional type of differences between the open banking standards which are emerging. I imagine different countries or certainly continents would be standardizing on certain data formats and others on on others. Is Is that the case or are we finding some sort of international standards around open banking?
0: We are not yet there for, for an international standard. So uh, whole Europe, there is a PSD2. So this yeah. is a, a, a standard uh, uh, by the regulator that defines okay what you have to provide as a bank, as mm-hmm. API. Uh, but it's also quite um, uh, not really specific. It's maybe just, okay, here are the, the costs. So uh, I, like, uh, I should have access to accounts and payments, but every bank implements it differently. So there is no kind of standard. There's just the... Uh, the services there are uh, standardized, but not really the content. So, um, was from our experience to really uh, get this kind of or analyze this kind of transactions uh, and relationships that's uh, super complicated because every bank has its own logic. Then mm-hmm. there's Switzerland, <laughs> they have their own standard that is uh, um, pushed and driven by, by the industry, mm-hmm. um, and we are two, three years behind Europe. So there is no established standard. We are still fighting for one and uh, to become one. One seems to arise as, as a standard that we are also uh, choosing. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of the state of, uh, of open banking.
2: That's that's exactly what I, I read about the open banking as well. We're seeing a lot of growth in um, banking as a service, BAS, mm-hmm. uh, which is reported to become a $7.2 trillion industry by 2030. Mm-hmm. Tell me, what is BAS and what can we expect to see from it?
0: So uh, BAS, banking as a service enables uh, in the end uh, everybody to become a bank and draw, really kind of rethink kind of relationship between your business and your customers. So main, uh, it's, um, these ways to, to really uh, describe it as an example, I mean, for instance, you are an airline, and you want you have uh, strong competitors. You want to kind of uh, um, make your customers more loyal with a loyal program with points. So you can create a, a debit card or credit card for your uh, customers, with which they can collect some airline points with your airline to get cheaper uh, to get cheaper um, um, flights. Also, you can imagine, okay, uh, if you are an e-commerce shop, for instance, uh, you uh, have uh, you become a bank. And then it's not anymore about that that you get the cash or the payment from from your customer, but really provide service like okay buy it now pay it later, and you provide them a loan to get it really earlier without uh, uh, going over a bank with all the, the the slow processes of getting a loan to really get uh, a, a product uh, for for the customer. And this really kind of um, completely uh, uh, it's completely paradigm shift between this kind of business, because it's not anymore about um, really getting the cash for a service or a product, but really um, creating a relationship, uh, managing kind of debits, managing credits for your customer and uh, uh, leverage on that. Which also means yeah. if you really uh, are able to um, go one step further, it's really, you be- can become a-, a new way of hub uh, our payment hub. But you can uh, also collaborate with uh, other parties or other business, share loyalty points, and really create uh, a a relevant ecosystem around the customer needs.
2: Imagine with banking as a service. I mean, it used to be that to get a banking license was a huge deal and very, very difficult to obtain. Are the regulatory requirements keeping up with this? And Banking as a service, it seems to... uh yeah, you know, the, the technology is running faster than perhaps than the governments can keep up with.
0: Uh, yeah, usually regulations come some years afterwards. So, so that's always kind of a, a time frame where you can really uh, um, leverage uh, an Excel uh, uh, with all, without uh, regulations. So regulations come afterwards. But uh, the good thing also uh, because uh, um banking a service are usually uh, also uh, backed up by by large banks they already have the license and they uh, they also with uh, whom they get this this kind of possibilities they have control on on that but also kind of the securities so um they there, nobody will lose money essentially if something uh, gets wrong. So they have really um, all the security and compliance and regulations already in place, which makes the whole uh, uh, um, the whole process really fast.
2: I, I'd like to ask you. You know, you 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 are an API evangelist and have that background in, in APIs, and you've spent lots of time as a consultant uh, working in various industries. Um, we recently asked one of our guests. Uh, what how what were the effect of the pandemic was on digital transformation. I'd like to get your perspective as well. Uh, so the interesting thing when we asked uh, this guest, they said they thought it was a lost opportunity. And that was a different perspective for us, is that we'd often heard, oh, this was a great time for, you know, the big companies were forced to plans they had in, you know, in, in, in motion for years. They also had to put into action um, such and get remote working happening and, and, and uh, dealing with customers digitally and the like. But this guest argued that that was a response to an emergency, an unusual situation. It wasn't a, a, a strategic plan uh, for digital transformation. What are your thoughts on, on this? Was the pandemic... Um, a missed opportunity for true digital transformation.
0: Um, I completely agree with uh, with this, uh, this speaker or guest because it was re- really just a one-time reaction on, a, uh, on something h- huge because um, what I also see, I mean, we also did studies also here in, in Switzerland about banking and uh, uh, businesses, uh, what kind of behavior changed or so are they using more e-bank and so on? And the outcome was nothing changed. For them, mm-hmm. So uh, there was uh, no digital transformation going on, especially for, for the small to medium-sized uh, banks. Some uh, tried to uh, change a business model, special restaurants, so uh, adding uh, takeaways on, on top of that, but not much happened. Uh, but what pandemic really created was really kind of uh, um, resetting kind of the default, especially homework. So employee now, it's, the default is homework, and you as an employer can request some da- days when I approve, uh, to come into the office uh, and not otherwise. So the, there is a huge change about perception, really uh, um, uh, a huge change about the perception also uh, about the new kind of, uh, the new normal. But what didn't change is really kind of um, a continuous kind of reflection and learning how to improve things uh, because that stopped now. It, now it's a, it's a new default. So people mm-hmm. will live for the next 100 years the same. So there will be homework, uh, but no kind of improvement. I also see it, for instance, when we collaborate with each other, so we do need to uh, uh, brainstorm, put the brains uh, together. Um, it's still kind of, okay, why why video call? But uh, really to understand, to learn, okay, how can we do met- better? Do we need different tools? Do we need tools that doesn't exist uh, currently? Or do we come to the office to really to learn, experiment, what really works as a team, as a company, this uh, all suddenly stopped. So it was really kind of no reaction, adaption to a new situation, but the situation remains the same. So companies and employers uh, stay the same. So um, it's really no learning. And digital transformation is really about adapting to learn, to fail, and the speed of learning and really adapt and use the digital uh, technologies that are around to to improve. That, There's one it.
2: analogy that you made in your first podcast with us, which was the butterfly. The, digi- the uh-huh. tra- digital transformation is the caterpillar transforming into a butterfly uh-huh. that is doing transforming into something new. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is that what didn't happen? Certain certain processes were done differently, but the the net result wasn't some new way of doing business. Is that is that what I'm just trying to understand mm-hmm. what what would you be actually looking for if if what if the pandemic didn't bring digital transformation then what is true digital transformation
0: yeah so regarding this uh, uh, this analogy i think uh, it still is true but also with this analogy i mean the caterpillar either dies or becomes a butterfly and then stays uh, to become a butterfly and uh, never transforms again and that's uh, um, something that is digital transformation not about really kind of just go to the next level and stay and stay there but really have this kind of uh, this mindset of continuously checking out new technologies how can it benefit the the business and also how do I change as a as a as a company culture also as a leadership to really go to define and go to the right directions really this continuous adaptation evolution um, of the company and the business model that didn't happen
2: Mm. And of course, it's it's uh, easier said than done. So I guess the during the pandemic there was just a mad scrambling to just you know try and continue have some continuity of business, mm-hmm. let alone thinking about transformation. And so what we saw as people communicating via Slack and you know doing their work online and all the rest of it wasn't necessarily digital transformation. It was just responding to an event. Mm-hmm. And but what we should, perhaps should be what would you, what should we be doing now? Now that we got uh, some time to reflect, okay, we're we're over that hurdle. Looking forward to two thousand and twenty-two, what would you like to see
0: companies doing to get back on track with their digital transformation <laughs> initiatives? Um, I mean, last time also, uh, my current thing is uh, um, it's not about only technology and also a business model; it's also kind of cultural aspect. Hmm. But it's not only the culture of, of, of a company or depending a little bit on how you define, but it's also about the leadership because uh, if the leadership uh, doesn't understand, so they can really block everything. So it's really kind of uh, um, a new way of really uh, um, uh, um, behave as a complete organism or organization really have an exchange between leadership and all the brains of the employees because there's all the the collective intelligence to really um get that into use and really have a kind of a cycle exchange between leadership and also the company culture and and the employees to really excel on that. So it's not only about the employees and their culture, how they uh, about their mindset, how they evolve, but also about the leadership, who also needs to learn not only to uh, uh, um, to manage and uh, but really understand where to lead and also when to change and adapt which directions to go, and also trigger and uh, invoke the right uh, thoughts and ideas and give it the space uh, for the employees to uh, to change and really adapt the digital transformation. And this cultural
2: change theme, is, it's recurring, comes up time and time again in our podcast. And uh, it's interesting you talk about the leadership because it was also recently uh, mentioned where that leadership should exist. So where, in your opinion, should that leadership be coming from? Is it is it the CEO's responsibility to drive down that kind of initiative? Is it a digital transformation officer, an operations officer? Is it the board? Is it, it go as high as mm-hmm. the board of directors? Um, where do you think it's most effectively driven from to, tra- to drive that kind of cultural change?
0: Um, so that's difficult because it's also a responsibility from people that are not in a position or in, not in a role of leadership, because uh, let's say the ones that are in the role of leadership, they can uh, show directions, ideas, and uh, uh, and the companies also really the people they show leadership by selecting those the right ideas and really uh, committing on those uh, uh, and convincing others to really follow follow on that. So it's really kind of a, a, a leadership is not a position that you have, but it's really kind of a role and everybody can can take this role by really uh, deciding on what to commit. And also regarding leadership, it's also, um, especially for, for larger companies, so they lost kind of the, the feeling of urgency. And that's the huge advantage of, for instance, startups, small companies, they know if they don't change, if they don't get successful, don't change their business model such that it works, they are out of, out of money in half a year, in one year, uh, latest. And large companies, they don't have this urgency. I also see it with banks, especially in Switzerland, they are so rich. They don't fear fintechs, why should they change? They have years to add Hmm. a new app uh, on the app store. Uh, So really this this feeling of urgency, that's really crucial to really also adapt and also understand why uh, uh, the benefits of digital transformation.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. You, you mentioned that that, that, it's, that leadership role drives right down to that sort of operator level. It doesn't just come from the C-level executives. What you ultimately want to see is those C-level le, level executives creating an environment where that person at the cold face who's actually understanding that customer requirement and, and what, they're, what they really would like and how they would like to do business in the future they're empowered to facilitate change. So it's not necessarily a directive from above, above. you need to implement these changes. It's more about a mindset change, driving down a cultural change and empowering those people which are dealing with uh, the customers and other stakeholders, business partners and the like as well, that uh, they should have the mindset that they can think in new ways and what ways can we facilitate business better in the future. So it's an interesting point there that you make is that it's not just coming from the leadership, is not just coming from the, the top-level executives but we're kind of expecting that leadership to come from lower down the chain, which is closer to those stakeholders, whether they be
0: customers or business partners or even employees for that matter. Mm-hmm. And that, that's also, let's say, maybe a, a, a new kind of a understanding or meeting of a, of a CEO, like the chief executive, executive officer. It's more about the chief vision officer. We say, okay, this is the vision of our company. That's our purpose. That's why we are here. But I can't tell you what exactly you should do because we are higher. So or what Steve Jobs said, we hire people such that they say what, what we should do. That's mm-hmm. exactly kind of a, this kind of this leadership or, or the new way of thinking.
2: It certainly is. Amancio, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Congratulations on your new role as product officer, chief product officer at ContaVista. Vista. Uh, just remind our listeners of where uh, they can follow you on social media and uh, what you're getting up to.
0: Yeah, you can follow me at uh, El Medium. There are posts uh, on Medium.com. There are posts, uh, all articles, also kind of my journey on uh, doing chief product officer <laughs> work, also how I develop or how I fail and what I learn uh, doing this way, also the product thinking uh, within banks. So there are a lot of things, also LinkedIn, just Amancio Botha, uh, you can uh, uh, search for me, let's connect there and sometimes also Twitter. Amancio,
1: fantastic. Thanks for your time again today. Thank you, David, and thank you, Kevin. It was nice being here. All right, that's a wrap for this episode of Coding Over Cocktails. To our listeners, what did you think of this episode? Let us know in the comment section from the podcast platform you're listening to. Also, please visit our website at www.torocloud.com for a transcript of this episode, as well as our blogs and our products. We're also on social media Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Talk to us there, because we listen. Just look for Toro Cloud. On behalf of the team here at Toro Cloud, thank you very much for listening to us today. This has been Kevin Montalbo for Coding Over Cocktails. Cheers!